You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. If you remember over the last few weeks, we've, I, I don't, you know, I don't even know how we did, I don't know how this happened, other than it was just, I believe the Lord. Uh, I started out in, 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 in Mark, preaching on Martha and Mary, talking about anxiety, uh, about worry, about fixing our eyes on Jesus, the title of the series. And somehow I felt so burdened for parents, I found myself beginning to shift the sermon uh, toward parenting and toward parents. And, and so, you know, I basically was saying to you as parents, and for all of us, we need some process in life when we're going through life to kind of help us navigate. Uh, and I thought, you know, these words were good words uh, that I had read in Nick Trenton's book, Stop Overthinking, because they're biblical. And you remember we said a lot of times in life we come to uh, a situation, a relationship, friendship, to where something inside of us says we need to get away from that. It may be a TV program, maybe a movie, a friendship, whatever it may be. So we learn that word avoid. And then sometimes you remember we can't avoid something. We have to alter it, realize that, God, you have me here. There's nothing I can do. So I've got to be the salt, light, and yeast in this office, in this classroom, in this dorm room. So we teach our children that. Some things you can't avoid. You're just going to have to learn that God's called you there to be strong, to be the salt, light, and yeast. Uh, then we talked about that word not only, you know, avoid, not only alter, uh, that word accept, and that's what it means. We, we, we accept the situation. In other words, you may say to your son or daughter, or you may be in a situation to where you say, I can't avoid it. I have to work. I've got to make a living. I've got to take this. Jo- I've got to work in this job. I don't like it. I'm not happy in it. I've got to learn how to be the salt and light and yeast. Then, as you go along, you begin to realize, God, you begin to show me some things about me. In other words, I'm not about changing this office. Wait a minute. This office has some things to teach me. There's some things that I need to learn. And so I not only accept, I begin to figure out, God, you're trying to do something in me, and I learn to adapt. In other words, God, you're not trying to change, you're not using me to change this environment, you're using this environment to change me. So I identify some things that need to change in me, and I begin to adapt. He's conforming me into the image of Christ. That parent is critical to teaching your children. And it's critical for you and I. And then we went on. We said, but wait a minute. When you look at a homeless man or woman, we're coming up on the Thanksgiving meal. And I pray that you will, you know, commit to fixing some food, helping to be a part of that. But when we minister to the homeless, you think to yourself, what went wrong? I mean, what went wrong? Let me tell you one of the things that went wrong. No parent taught them that. So often they didn't learn that avoid, alter, accept, adapt. They didn't learn that. And then we went on to say, you know, Brother Jeff, you've been doing this over 20 years. 
Uh, what, have you, what have you discovered about homeless? What went wrong? And number one, more often than not, almost without exception, when I, when I was going up under bridges, when I was doing homeless ministry, and now Willie and others take that, uh, organizations take that. But let me tell you, when I, I never saw homeless men and women with, with dads. You know, the importance of a dad in a home or a patriarchal figure a male figure to be involved even among single parents you may say well i'm a single mom raising children then pull a christian godly man into your family to influence your children to be a part of it. maybe a coach so we said this that a lot of times there's no dad secondly we said there's substance abuse and we said this sometimes parent if you and i don't come to terms with whatever drug alcohol sexual promiscuity pornography if we don't come to terms with our addictions chances are we pass it on to somebody else right and then last we said this sometimes people end up under bridges because they go through a catastrophe a catastrophic event and there's no family structure there's no one there to help them get through that and I told you the story of Stephen Curtis Chapman who they were all outside playing having a great time family time when their son was coming down the the a rural driveway uh, coming down the road and, and the five-year-old Marie Sue his daughter was running out to meet her brother and he ran over and killed her and how Stephen Curtis Chapman, as he was holding his dying daughter, getting into an ambulance, he hung outside the window of the vehicle that he was in, and he got the attention of his son, who had just ran over his sister, and he said, son, and he demanded that his son look at him. He said, son, I love you. And you remember we said, sometimes people go through a catastrophe, a a, a, a horrible event in their life, and there's nobody there to be there to help them through it. And then we ended last week by saying, wait a minute. How do I get through a storm? What do I teach my children when they come to a crisis in their life? Parent, listen to me. You may not be there. I had a beautiful church member, had an only child, beautiful girl named Robin, nine years old. I had to go to Robin and to her dad, and I, I had to say, Robin, your mother has just been killed. There's no guarantee, parent, that you're going to see your children to adulthood. You need to listen. We all need to listen. Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. He says, you're the salt of the earth. Now watch this. Matthew 5, 13, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Verse 14, you are the what? You are the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill. It cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl or a basket. Instead, they put it up on a stand so that it gives light everywhere in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and do what? 
and praise or glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We love you. And Lord, we pray that you'll just give us clear understanding. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You know, what I'd like to do is, what I'd like to do is, I would like to teach you, first of all, two words, okay? And I want you to say them with me. Life inventory. Can you say that? Life inventory. Anybody that's ever been in Walmart or you've worked in a business or, or you've been in Lowe's, you know, when you go into a business, there'll come a point to where you'll see people, they're like ants. They're climbing everywhere, reaching around. They're climbing up on the counters. And you begin to realize they are taking what? They are taking inventory. Now, I want you to listen to me closely. In your life and in my life, it's just a matter of time before some event, some catastrophe, something horrible, something's going to go wrong. It's life, right? It's going to happen. And when you or when those you love are teaching your children, when they come to that moment, you want them to learn to do what? Life inventory. Let's say it. Life inventory. In other words, what you want to do, listen, you want to teach your sons and daughters, you want to begin to do this as well. Anytime I come to a crisis, a difficulty, something's going wrong, then in that moment, I want to do life inventory. I want to take an inventory of my life at that moment. And hear me, this is what I want to know. Is this, first of all, a storm or a crisis, listen, that I have created. And we'll tell you, a lot of times we're blaming God for our poor choices, our impatience, our difficulties, our problems, our mistakes. God doesn't have anything to do with it. Sometimes a storm, a crisis, is a storm of my own making. Right? Now I want you to take a left. And I want you to go to one of my, oh, it's one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's a strange book in many ways. But I want you to go over there, pass Amos, pass Obadiah, and I want you to come to a man by the name of Jonah. Now, I love teaching through Jonah. Jonah's a fascinating book. Jonah's like Peter in the New Testament. I like these guys because they make me think about me. Now, look at Jonah. Go over there, Obadiah, Amos, Obadiah, get past there. Get to the book of Jonah over in the Old Testament. When you get there, say amen. Now, in Jonah chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, it said, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, look at verse 3. What's the first word? If you got the NIV, what is it? But Jonah ran away from what? But Jonah ran away from the Lord. He headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard. He sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Verse 4, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. 
All the sailors were afraid. Each cried out to his own God. They threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and he fell into a deep sleep. Captain went to him, said, How can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lots, the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. They asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up. Throw me into the sea. And it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon Wow. First thing you and I are going to do when we get to a crisis, a difficulty, when everything starts going wrong in our life, the very first thing we do is we just simply say, God, have I done something? Am I outside of your will? Am I living in disobedience? Have I done things that I know deep down in my heart are wrong that I should not have done? And God, have you brought me to this storm or this crisis? You know in verse 4, you know what the Hebrew is? The Hebrew is this, it is God who has given Jonah a clear instruction, told Jonah what to do. Jonah does a 180, the opposite direction. And you know what God does? In the Hebrew, he takes a storm and he throws it, he hurls it like a javelin right toward Jonah. First thing you and I have to ask when we get to a difficulty, crisis, a problem in our life, God, is this a storm of my own making? This is what we teach our children. Hey, when things are not working out, things are not going right in your life, first thing you do is you need to ask yourself, hey, is this my fault? Is this something I've done? Are these poor choices that I have made that have resulted in the fruit, the consequences of this? Is this my fault? It's hard to do, isn't it? First thing we want to do, we want to blame God. Or we want to blame somebody else. We're looking around at anybody. We're, we, 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 we want to blame anybody but ourselves. But what happens? Jonah rebelled. Jonah will repent. And Jonah will return. Look at this. Read on farther. He said here, he said, pick me up, throw me into the sea. And it will become calm. Hey, you never go through a storm by yourself. You're going to drag a lot of other people with you. 
Everybody look this way. You live in willful, defiant disobedience to the Word of God. You quietly disobey God. You do things that you know deep down in your heart are unethical. They're immoral. You know they are against the Word of God and you feel the indwelling Holy Spirit. You quench that Holy Spirit. You try to suppress it. You, you listen. You do everything you can to silence the voice of your own conscience and you know deep down in your heart that you're wrong. And in that moment when you go through a storm, you're dragging a lot of other people with you. In verse 13, I love this. He said, I, verse 12, he said, I know that this is my fault and that this great storm has come upon who? Me? Who's he talking to? You. Verse 13, instead the men did their best. Boy, you like these men, don't you? Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Let me tell you something, folks. Listen to me. Hear me. Uh, it, when you and I come to a difficulty, when we come to a crisis in our life, and we begin to step back and we say, God, is this something that I have created? Have I done something immoral? Have I done something unethical? Have I created this storm? God, have you sent this storm to wake me up and to cause me to repent and to return to you? In that moment, we're dragging a lot of other people into our storm right along with us. In that moment, we have the opportunity in that moment to say, God, you're right. You're right, God. And the Bible says we confess. You know what the word confess, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. You know the first thing that God wants you and I to do when we're in a storm of our own making? He wants us to admit it's our fault. That's all. Confess is the Greek word homo legeo. Homo, the same legeo, means to speak or to say the same thing. We're saying, God, you're right. This is a storm that I created. These are my choices. God, these are things that I've done that I knew deep down were unethical. They were immoral. Nobody knew it. I was doing it in private. I was either robbing, stealing, looking, listening, saying, but God, it is my fault. I take full responsibility for the storm that I'm in. That's the beginning. Jonah looked at the crew and he said, this is my fault. Some dads, some moms need to look and say, kids, this is not your fault. This is mine. So what am I teaching my children? What am I, what am I learning? And, and hey, listen. Hey, I don't need notes for this. As your pastor, there have been many times in my life that I have been in horrible difficulties and circumstances when I knew for certain that I was not only out of the will of God, I had my family outside of the will of God. And in that moment, I knew that I needed to repent before God and say, God, I take full response full responsibility this is not my brother not my sister but it's me oh lord it stands in the need of prayer and i'm gonna tell you folks listen 
God watches over your shoulder. He knows how you spend every penny. God watches over your shoulder. He knows what you look, what you listen, how you live your life. He knows every thought in your mind right now. And sometimes we get into a storm, and the storm is a crisis. It's a difficulty. It's a problem, but it's something that we've made. You see, in the case of Stephen Curtis Chapman, that wasn't nobody's fault. That wasn't his teenage son's fault. It wasn't sweet little five-year-old Marie Sue's fault. It wasn't the parent's fault. The reality is, is that sometimes life sends storms, crisis, right? We live in a fallen world. We deal with disease. We deal with sin. But anyway, watch this. He goes on. He says, he says, uh, he, he tells them, he says, throw me overboard. This is my fault. Verse 13, instead the men did their best, the road to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. O oh Lord, have... Uh, o Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm immediately. Wow. You know what? Sometimes you and I get in a storm, we get in a difficulty, we get in a problem, and the first thing we need to do is do what? Life inventory. We just do an inventory. We just stop and go, wait a minute, let me do inventory. Let me check back. Let me look at the way I've been living my life. Let me look at some of the decisions I've made. Let me look at some. Let me see if this is my fault. And if it's my fault, God, then what I'm going to do, I'm going to acknowledge that. I'm going to say, God, I confess this is my fault. God, I repent, which means at this point, I'm not only accepting that it's my fault, I'm willing to do whatever I have to do to correct it. God, what do I need to do to correct this situation? You know what? What have I told you a thousand times? You and I serve a loving Savior. You confess, I confess that, God, this is my storm. I created it. I'm in this situation. Uh, God, I, I, hey, hey, God, I created a monster and a son or a daughter. God, I created a monster in my finances. God, I created a, a, a difficulty in my marriage because of something that I'm doing that my spouse doesn't know anything about. God, I've caused a problem in my workplace that, that it's my fault. It's not my boss. It's not the other employees. It's me. And God, I repent. And God, I'll do whatever you ask me to do to make it right. Wow. Let me tell you what God does when you and I do that. God starts, you know what God starts getting ready to do? God starts getting ready for action. He's a loving parent. All of a sudden, God says, that's all I wanted to hear. Now let's see how we're going to, now let's see how we're going to turn this to my glory. David, what did David do? David was on a rooftop, looked at, um, looked at Bathsheba, filled with lust. He went because he was a king. He had the authority and the power to do it. She didn't have, she didn't have to do it. But anyway, Bathsheba went to the beck and called of the king, King David, David the psalm writer, David the leader, David the king of Israel, David the beloved of God's, out of God's own heart. 
David, David took Bathsheba. He slept with Bathsheba. He committed adultery. And then Bathsheba sent the word and said, David, I'm pregnant. And David said, we've got to take care of this. We'll have a cover-up. There wasn't no confession. We're going to cover up. And what did he do? He brought Uriah back to the palace. He boozed it up with Uriah, got him drunk, and thought Uriah will go home and sleep with Bathsheba, and he'll think it's his child and everything will be fine. Didn't happen that way. And you remember, he, he, did, he did everything. He got him drunk, he gave him gifts, he did everything. But you see, Uriah had more noble character than David. And finally, David sends word to the commander of his army. He says, I tell you what you do. You get the troops in the heat of the battle. You get Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, on the front line. You pull the troops back. Leave Uriah by himself and let the enemy kill him. Is David hardened? Oh, he's hardened. You know what he does? He says, poor old Bathsheba, we're going to bring her and I'm going to make her one of my wives and I'm going to take care of her now, this, this broken down widow, and I'm going to minister to her. I'm going to watch over her and I'm going to take care of this baby that was Uriah's baby. And he hatches to this plan, but all of a sudden, the sovereign of the universe is holding a storm and he slings it. Uriah comes to King David and says, King David, we've got a problem. We've got a powerful rancher, sheep rancher, thousands of sheep. We have one little family that lives next to his big ranch, and they had one little old ewe lamb, and that little ewe lamb was their pet. That ewe lamb would sit in the lap of the man at the table. That ewe lamb was there, and all of a sudden, in that moment, David explodes and he says that man ought to die because they took that, that big rancher took that little ewe lamb and killed it and served his guest and, and Nathan's telling this story and finally David says that man ought to die. He explodes. He ought to repay it four times over. Levitical law. And in that moment, your Nathan looks at David and says, David, you're the man. And David has to come to terms with his storm. Hear me, you and I are not only teaching our children, but we're modeling that sometimes son or daughter, as you're growing up, and even when they're a child, you're simply saying to a child at times, is this, are you're in trouble, even if it's your discipline that you're giving this child, you're still saying to them, I didn't want to spank you, I don't want to do this, I don't want to discipline you, you have disobeyed me, that you've disobeyed, these are the consequences, and now you have to pay. You have to take responsibility. So what's the first thing that I'm going to ask in a life inventory? What is it? God, is this a storm of my own making? Boy, it's really quiet in here. And if it is, God, this is what I want to do. God, I don't want to blame you. I don't want to blame nobody else. God, I want to say right now, it's my fault. God, I repent, and I ask you, dear Lord, to forgive me. I confess to you, and I ask you to forgive me. Now, God, tell me what you want me to do to make this right. Let me tell you what a lot of times homeless men and women do. They wash their hands of every relationship, wash their hands of all of it, and go live under a bridge. 
Sometimes the most difficult thing to do is to convince somebody. I'm, I'm counseling a man who murdered his wife. If you could listen into that phone call, it would change you. It's been over a year, about a year since he murdered his wife. And he weeps and he cries. And he says, if only I could turn back the clock. And he makes this statement. It all started when we got out of church. That's what we're teaching our children. That's what we're doing. Son, daughter, you and I, you come to a storm, you come to a crisis, come to a difficulty in your life, all of a sudden, as the old statement says, and a fireman will teach your children, stop, drop, and whatever you do. But in this case, you're going to stop, drop, and you're going to pray. You're going to say, God, I confess to you, this is, this is something that is my fault. I created this storm. I'm hurting other people. And God, right now, I repent, and I ask you, dear Lord, to forgive me cleanse me and now God help me somehow to turn this situation around for your glory that's the first example you know um, there's a lot of people that are saying right now I've just been reading a book called mega threats it's telling our men's class it's written by a Harvard PhD econo economy genius, an economist genius. Uh, he's been a professor at Yale. He is uh, he's a brilliant mind in the world, in the in this world of economics. He repeatedly and historically has been a hundred percent correct. He's predicted over and over again uh, points of recession, times of inflation, real estate crashes and busts, and all of these things. And do you know what he's saying now? He's saying that our world is sitting at the point of what he called a global recession. The conversation in the business world, the conversation among leading economic geniuses is that we are at the brink of what they are calling a global recession. The United Kingdom is dealing with it. England's dealing with it. Western Europe is dealing with it. And what they're saying is the perfect storm has developed. Perfect storm of public and private debt being beyond anything we've ever seen even before the 19. 29 crash the double digit inflation that's coming the devaluing five i think it was five trillion dollars of u.s currency put into the into the market just in the month of september in other words trying to prime and pump our economy doing everything that we can and because we're so narcissistic and self-centered nobody wants to bite the bullet and pay the price of what it may take to fix the economy but the problem is now is that our economy is so linked to the economies of the world that the entire globe may be experiencing a recession. And guess what they're saying? 
we don't even know what that looks like. And you may say, well, is that a storm? You better believe it. Is it a storm we created? Probably. Whether it's an individual, whether it's corporately, whether it's a nation, sometimes it requires repentance to say, God, this is, I played a role in this. God, part of this is me. God, forgive me. You may say, well, this is a different kind of sermon. This is a somber sermon. No, this is just simply telling you, I don't know what we face. But I know any storm that I go into, the first thing I do is life inventory. First thing I do is, God, is this me? Is this my fault? God, show me that. And if it's true, God, I repent and I'll do whatever I can to correct it. If you and I don't teach our children that, they'll stumble all the way through their life blaming everybody but themselves. And the problem a lot of times is we know it all. Nobody tell us nothing. We know everything. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to You, and Lord, for some reason. Dear Lord, I've disregarded notes and, and all the preparation that's been made. I didn't get up there with my laptop or my iPad. There was nothing. Lord, I just felt so burdened. We live in a very, very difficult time, dear Lord, and I don't mean to, to be the bearer of bad news, but Lord, I don't know what bad news even is coming or if it will come are we living in a very unstable time yes we are but lord may we teach our children as they're growing up that most important thing is when you come to a crisis the first thing you need to do is ask is this something that i've done a choice that i've made is this the consequences of my own decisions and when that happens to repent, to confess and repent and take responsibility and say, Lord, help me to get this, make this right. Lord, we live right now in a world that seems where everybody's a victim, blaming government, blaming politics, blaming ideologies, blaming black, white, young, old, rich, poor, People are pointing the finger everywhere. But oh, how we need to sometimes stand in front of a mirror. Say, oh God, what is my part in this? Lord, may we be like Jonah. The Bible said that those sailors threw him in the ocean. And in chapter 2, he sank all the way to the bottom of what he called the foundations of the mountains. He talks about seaweed wrapping around his neck. And then he talks about how God in his sovereign hand created a great fish, swallowed Jonah. And there in the belly of that fish, 
protect it from the digestive enzymes and things that could have easily taken care of him. He was a miracle just like Jesus, just like Jesus in the tomb. And the Bible said that he came to himself and he remembered his rebellion, his disobedience. He asked for forgiveness. He was repentant. And God restored him and put him back on the right path. Lord, may we realize that you are a loving Savior. And God, I pray today if there's any decision that any member's making that may be outside of your will, that you stop it right now. I pray, dear Lord, for those that may be listening right now. They look and they realize there's been some things that they've done in their past that they knew were wrong, that you bring them to repentance, confession, and that, God, you begin to wrap your arms around them and restore what the enemy sought to destroy. I pray, dear Lord, for every family represented, that you give us the wisdom and the strength to know how to raise our children in uncertain times, teaching them what it means to be responsible for the choices that we make and to be repentant when those choices are wrong. And God, most of all, I pray today that if there's a man or woman, boy or girl, who's never opened up their heart and given their life to Jesus Christ, that, Lord, right now, that you would, dear Lord, begin to, through the convicting Holy Spirit, speak to their heart, and cause them to open up that heart to receive you as their Lord and Savior. To be saved. Genuinely real salvation. And Lord, may everything be for your glory and your honor. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come. There may never be a moment like this moment. You know, if I'm going into a storm, I even believe there's a storm. Which I believe there is a storm coming i'm not going in it without jesus you come may never be a moment like this moment you come you come